Welcome, everyone, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, from Walk Your Dead Now. want to welcome all of our viewers tonight. Hope you could spend the next hour here with us. If you're visiting us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. And if you haven't already done so, please visit our YouTube channel, which is called Walking Dead Now. Please go ahead and subscribe. If you're there right now, please go ahead and hit the thumbs up button. Let me say hello to some of you guys. I see Singer Chick is with us. Khaleesi is joining us. Andrew is with us. Welcome, Andrew. I'm glad you can make the broadcast tonight. Emir Perez is with us on YouTube. On Facebook, we have Sonia, Misty, Lindsay Sparks. Junior James has just joined us on YouTube. Turning over to the Instagram side. Maya is with us. Joker is with us. Eduardo is waving at us. Iban is with us. Welcome to all you guys. I got to see the second episode of World Beyond today, and I am really enjoying this show. I'm not just blowing smoke either. I really, I am really enjoying the World Beyond. It's a great show. I don't know if you guys saw the premiere last week. I hope you have. If you haven't, I encourage you to do so. And watch the second episode that is going to air on Sunday night on AMC. I don't know if you guys have heard of or watched a movie for a movie from the late 80s that's called Stand By Me. It's a Stephen King novel made into a movie. One of many Stephen King books that have been made into a movie. And it's about these group of kids that set out on this trek to see a dead body. You're like, wow, that sounds really boring, but it's a great freaking movie. It's It had so many big stars in it. River Phoenix uh, was in it. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland was in it. And watching the world beyond, I cannot help but think of Stand By Me. It's like Stand By Me meets the zombie apocalypse. And last week, if you guys watched the premiere... We got an introduction to these characters, found out a little bit about them. We learn a lot more in this second episode uh, and their trek outside the walls and what they're going to face. I'm not going to spoil anything for you guys. It was a great episode. Uh, just leaves me wanting more. Cannot wait to see next week's episode. Uh, it's really intense. It's really great. And I'm really enjoying it a lot. Uh, I was looking forward to it before it began. Uh, did not know what I was going to get, what to expect. I was just really looking forward to it. And so far, it has not disappointed. Singer Chick writes, love Stand By Me. I can see the correlation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is, there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, CC Wheezy says that leech scene in Stand By Me freaked me out. I remember exactly the scene you're talking about when they're in the river. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Welcome to Janstep on YouTube. Uh, Lindsay Sparks 
says, uh, who also watched World Beyond, who really enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's uh, definitely, it, it's a good show. It's a good show, and I'm really excited to see where it's going to go in the next eight episodes that are left. So, let's move on to some news. Uh, Fear of the Walking Dead is premiering this Sunday in all the premieres and the finales of The Walking Dead and the premiere of World Beyond. What seems to have been not in everyone's forefront on their mind is that Fear of the Walking Dead Season 6 is premiering this Sunday. And I'm really excited about that. And here's some news on it. Uh, like I said, it's coming to AMC. Episode 1, which is called The End is the Beginning, is set to premiere on Sunday, this coming Sunday, October 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern. For viewers who cannot wait that long, however, to see the latest adventure of the spin-off cast, AMC offers two ways for Fear the Walking Dead fans to get early access to uh, the premiere of Season 6. And that is, of course, the AMC Plus and AMC Premiere. I don't know why they split them up into two different things there. It's pretty much the same thing. In pre Here's a difference, though, this year with Fear. In previous years, AMC Premiere has allowed viewers to watch Fear of the Walking Dead 48 hours before it aired on AMC proper, which is what they're doing this year with uh, World Beyond. However, this year... In regards to Fear the Walking Dead, it seems that window is going to be a lot shorter. They are only going to be releasing it Sunday morning instead of the full 48 hours beforehand. Which sucks, but that's fine. Just got to wait a little bit longer. Uh, so for anyone who has AMC Premiere, AMC Plus, uh, it's going to be released Sunday morning. So if you're really, you know, jazzed about this finale or premiere and you go to your AMC uh, Plus Friday uh, tonight, it should be available right now. And it's not. It's, uh, it's not available. And it won't be available until Sunday morning. So that's the scoop on that. And apparently that's going to continue for the entire season of Fear. I don't know if it's to give the premiere, AMC premiere fans, a chance to watch World Beyond first, uh, then give them a chance to watch Fear the Walking Dead on Sunday. Whatever the case may be, that's what's going on. I want to welcome uh, Mo on with us, who's saying hello on Instagram. Fernando has joined us. Amar is also with us on Instagram. My Dream has joined us. Fernanda is waving at us. Uh, Khaleesi says, thank you, Viz. I've been checking. Now I know. Yep. It's not coming out until Sunday, Sunday morning. So you guys don't have to wait till Sunday night. You can watch it on Sunday morning. And if you guys want to sign up to AMC Premiere uh, or AMC Plus, whichever you want to call it, they do offer a free trial if you're here inside the United States. I believe AMC Premier, AMC Plus is only available to residents of the United States. It's not available outside the U.S. Lindsay Sparks also writes, Love Stand By Me. Great movie as well. It was. It was an amazing movie. 
Uh, next bit of news that we have. The Walking Dead World Beyond Star reveals show will expose the big picture of the United States 10 years into the zombie apocalypse. The new series will introduce a brand new set of heroes who are significantly different from previous characters. And I can attest to that. They are completely different from what we're used to uh, in prior Walking Dead uh, series. These endlings, and if you don't know what that is, you will know after you watch the second episode, as they call themselves, represent a new, younger generation who grew up in the world where the dead walk. Felix Carlucci is played by Nico, a non-binary actor who aspires to break down barriers on and off screen. Felix is played, sorry, the star told Digital Spy right off the bat, we started 10 years after the apocalypse, which is something new for the world. I think timeline-wise, but we're at the same time uh, as the flagship. The original Walking Dead is right now, but we're seeing it through a younger generation. And I've addressed the whole timeline thing before. I'm not going to go into that again. Uh, that's not to say that we haven't seen younger characters already in The Walking Dead, but we've only seen them in relation to older people. There's a certain level of imagination and naivety that comes with youth, with youth that's really special. He continued, and then in the other series, we're really dealing with the news on a local level, right? We're seeing smaller communities. We saw the last 10 years of the apocalypse, and we've gotten bits and pieces of what's happening on a national level. We, where we are, we get to really start to see the big picture of what is unfolding in the Americas. Who's in charge and what it means. Nico says they are excited to see their character grow into himself and viewers will see a more confident Felix as he starts to believe in himself more. Speaking about their character's identity, they said... As someone who has worked really closely within the community and with people from all over the world within the community, this is a story that's very near and dear to my heart. Nico revealed they wanted to play a queer superhero for so long and was excited to bring character to life in an unapologetic way. They added, I think that playing a gay man on television has meant a very specific thing in the past. Thankfully, representation and visibility are changing. It's not perfect, but it's getting better. And Felix is an example of that. And, you know, they kind of gave spoilers there as to what the second episode is going to be partly about. We are going to get a little bit of a backstory of the Felix, and it's fascinating. We're going to getting uh, we're going to be getting a little bit of insight into, you know, what Felix was doing when the zombie apocalypse broke out, and it's very fascinating to see. Lindsay, love your T-shirt. Thank you, Lindsay. That's a great Negan T-shirt. Um, Andrew is. Uh, 
Cats has to go. Thank you for stopping by, Andrew. Uh, let's see. So let's move on to the next thing. Aman is giving us a thumbs up on Instagram. Welcome to all the new people who have joined us on Instagram as well. So, a little bit of fear stuff. Fear of the Walking Dead, Alicia Debnam Carey and Maggie Grace, both, that's Alicia and Al, um, on how the game has changed in Season 6. Fear of the Walking Dead returns for Season 6 this Sunday. Everything is different. Okay, fine. Not everything. There are still zombies, and most of the main cast of Season 5 is back, though not necessarily better for the wear. But where, past, but where the past few seasons have found the Feroes, instead of heroes, they say Feroes, making their own destinies and trying to build back civilization, at the end of Season 5, they gave up. Specifically, they gave up into the demands of Virginia and her pioneers, a group of cowboy-style settlers who look at their community members as resources, not humans. That means that whoever Alicia, Althea, and the other characters who can't be nicknamed Al were pre-Virginia, that does not exist anymore. The game has changed, teased Debnam Carey. Uh, we're in Virginia's world. We're playing by her rules now. What those rules are, you'll have to wait and see. But for Alicia, it's safe to say that as one of the few remaining original Fear characters, she won't be playing by Virginia's rules for long. Over the course of five seasons, Alicia has survived while the rest of her family has died, often right in front of her. That broke her at first before leading to a renewed sense of purpose in Season 5 and a new bond with the Walking Dead crossover character, Morgan Jones, who of course is played by Lenny James. With Morgan thought to be dead and Virginia in charge, Alicia is very much back to survival mode. It's not so much trying to survive, it is also trying to survive in what Virginia's world is, which seems quite sinister and seems quite calculative. I think it's that, uh, I think that's a big defining fact for Alicia and for this season as well. As for Al, the journalist and sometimes documentary filmmaker, uh, as a different view and position in Virginia's new world order. You'll find out more about where and what Al is up to as the anthology takes on the series progresses. Each episode this season focuses on a different character or a small group. But suffice it to say, where Alicia is trying to survive, Al is, as usual, tackling the biggle, bigger moral issues at hand. I mean, she's certainly struggling uh, with how to function within tyranny. Gray said each of these characters is a spectrum and of what concessions they can make. Certainly those that cooperate with Virginia reap the rewards, but clearly this is not a healthy community or organization. She's pretty ruthless in her efficiency. 
Al's really struggling with how she can make different choices and be effective in those choices. If you don't make your check-in at the checkpoint in the allotted time, you're not going to last long. But certainly there's a greater spectrum of choice that she has and has to navigate than the others do. So that's the problem. That's what they're going to be facing this year in regards to Virginia. We all know this. If you guys watched all the way to the end of season five, Virginia is going to be the big uh, story, at least for the first part of season six of Fear the Walking Dead. She is pretty ruthless. She wants uh, uh, Morgan dead. Uh, there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. And she goes as far from what we've seen from the teasers and trailers to hiring a bounty hunter and puts a price on his head. And we get to meet this bounty hunter in season six of Fear and what this guy is all about. Um, Jan Step writes, I hope we see Skidmark again, the cat. Skidmark, the survivor. I know. Let's see. Hopefully we will. Uh, the end of the Whisperers and why Beta's death was perfect. I agree. I thought Beta's death was perfect. In a strangely poetic and beautifully shot scene, we see Beta's death in The Walking Dead season 10 finale. Why it worked can be attributed to the details of those final moments. I want to start by admitting I was wrong when I first heard they were doing the Whisperer War. I was doubtful they would be able to translate it to the show in a way that I would find interesting. I was wrong. Oh, so wrong. Not only did they do a fantastic job with the Whisperers, making it my favorite arc since the early days at the prison, they hired top-notch actors to play the roles of Alpha, Samantha Morton, Beta, Ryan Hurst, and Lydia Cassidy McClincy. In season 10's finale, we saw the end of that war with Beta's death. Some reviewers and fans lament the quickness of Beta's death, but not for me personally. It was perfection. And I 100% agree with this person. I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge Daryl and Negan's role in ending Beta. I have to be honest and admit that was the least of what captivated me in those moments. Sure, it was a cool kill and showed Daryl learned his lesson from the last fight with Beta and end it quick. Uh, there was also another nice moment of redemption for Negan who put himself in Beta's path and drew his attention from Lydia, uh, from Lydia in Alpha's mask. During the course of the episode, we saw how fragile Beta's grasp of reality was. The scenes where the images allowed us to see the walkers through Beta's eyes were beautifully done. Hearing the walkers telling him, we are the end of the world. This is the end of the world, and they are ready. Alpha's ideology becoming Beta's reality. By the time we get to Beta's final moments, there is a deep sense of dread for the teen family, despite knowing 
about the news of the bonus six episodes, the extended season 11 and spinoff tales from the Walking Dead shows, I was riveted to the scenes playing out on my screen. See, in this article, they're calling those six extra episodes part of season 11. They're neither or. They're neither 10 or 11, and I said this yesterday. There are just six extra episodes that are between seasons 10 and 11 of The Walking Dead. For, for once, the darkness didn't bother me because it set the tone for the moment. The crush of the bodies around him as team family took out the whisperers one by one, then Beta sees Lydia in Alpha's mask. Negan getting his attention caused Beta to focus on one thing, revenge for Alpha's death, which made it easier for Daryl to slide in and stab him in the eyes. This led to the best part of the scene. The flashes of Alpha uh, thought out their time together throughout their time together with the voiceover of her chant, which went like, We walk in darkness, we are free. We bathe in blood, we are free. We love nothing, we are free. We fear nothing, we are free. We need no words, we are free. We embrace all death, we are free. This is the end of the world. Now is the end of the world. We are the end of the world. And you know what, guys? To hear, to read that quote, as opposed to listening to it on screen, and actually read those words, uh, how many of you guys knew that was exactly what they were chanting? Especially after Beta found out that, that Lydia was still alive and he confronted Alpha and Alpha fessed up to him, and uh, Alpha brought Beta. Alpha was a master manipulator of Beta, and she knew exactly how to um, reel him back in when he started having questions about why Alpha lied about Lydia dying. But those that phrase, that's freaky stuff right there. You know, we walk in darkness, we are free, we bathe in blood. Uh, just to read those words as opposed to hearing them on the screen, it's it's some dark stuff. And it really shows the mentality and how crazy Alpha was. But she still had a grip on how to play the game. Beta, on the other hand, was completely nuts. Alpha was the only one that was keeping him in line... And when she died, of course, we saw what happened. He became completely unhinged. Completely unhinged. Uh, so, anyway, Xander says it was kind of hard to make out every word. I should have put subtitles. Yeah, that was pretty dark. And a little secret, guys, to how I watch TV shows. A lot of people don't like doing it this way. But I always have the subtitles on. Always. Uh, some people find it distracting from the show. For me, I don't want to miss a single word because that word can be very important or a lot of times we hear something and we mistake one word for something else. So my personal you know, choice 
for watching not just The Walking Dead, a movie, t any TV show, any movie. I always play the subtitles. I'd, I've gotten so used to them, I don't find them distracting. And when I talk to uh, other people about it and we're discussing a particular scene in a movie or a scene in a TV show, I'm like, yeah, did you catch that when he said so-and-so or she said so-and-so? And he's like, no. I'm like, you should have turned on the subtitles. So that's what I do. Marie also watches it with subtitles. It's just, you know, it's just a preference. I don't want to miss the dialogue. Uh, Singer Chick writes, um, let's see. The only reason I did Xander's is because I probably watched that episode five times. Yep, that's a good way to catch every word. Lunkus is with us on YouTube. Um, so anyway, it goes on to say it really set the stage for a satisfying death. Ryan Hurst gave a remarkable performance as Beta. Here, here to that. And those final moments highlighted his talent, especially considering how little dialogue he had. He had to convey everything with body language and the occasional word or sound. His smile as the walkers ripped off his mask and began to feast uh, fit with the character. This worked for me as a viewer uh, because it was about Beta. As I said earlier, it could have been reduced to another cool Daryl kill, but it was about how he got to where he was and stayed true to the character. It gave a look into his thoughts and his insanity. It focused on his devotion to Alpha and proved that he truly was her willing disciple. Beta's end wasn't a punishment or something that he feared. To him, his death was a release uh, and the promise of Alpha. We embrace death. We are free. In that moment, Beta was finally set free. So that's a great perspective on maybe looking at Beta's death a little differently. For any of you guys that were disappointed by it, I was not. I loved how it was done. I don't see how they could have done it any better. The people that complained that it happened too quickly, you guys are forgetting. There was a lot of loose ends to tie up in this finale. A lot. And they did a great job. And Beta's death had to come in at some point. It's not like he died in the first 10 minutes of the episode. It was a good 30 plus minutes in. Uh, so, I thought it was done perfectly. I loved it. Uh, Khaleesi writes he needed a standing ovation for that scene. Not only that scene, his entire performance of Beta. Everybody was so focused on Alpha. And of course, Samantha Morton, who's wonderful. And she played Alpha so beautifully. I mean, hats off to Ryan Hurst and Beta. And the two of them together is what made the Whisper War so damn scary. Because just like that person who wrote that article, I too was having doubts um, after the Savior War, after a ten, you know, all the evil stuff that we have seen on The Walking Dead. Are, how are they going to make this scary and they did it was great uh i'm a white boy writes that death scene was one of the best best deaths 
ever. Knife in the eyes. Awesome. Yep. Xanders also writes, epic death. It was. Selena on Instagram writes, yes, scary. Selena also writes, I'm doing the, uh, oh, sorry, you're having a conversation with someone else. Um, so, yeah, so let's move on to today's topic. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, you know, Walking Dead universe characters who did not see eye to eye. And of course, there is no shortage of that. Okay, definitely in the Walking Dead uh, franchise, in the Walking Dead franchise, not everyone is, you know, holding hands around a campfire and singing Kumbaya on every decision that needs to be made. So we're going to tackle this topic by listing characters who weren't on the same page and why they had this kind of relationship. Uh, We're going to start with uh, good old Ed. Carol's abusive husband, and he was uh, part of the uh, OG, the original group, but he didn't really contribute very much. He and the rest of the group did not see eye to eye because he was lazy, grumpy, did not help to do anything in regards to that camp in season one. He was verbally abusive, physically abused his wife, Carol, and his daughter, Sophia, causing causing both of them to fear him. In the third episode of season one, Ed starts an unprovoked argument with the women at the camp uh, and he threatens to hit Andrea before hitting Carol for refusing to leave with him. As a result of his actions, he is very brutally beat up by Shane until he just completely passes out. A bully is a bully until the bully gets put down. And that's exactly what Shane did to Ed. An episode later, he refuses to leave his tent. He is awakened by a rustling outside of that tent. Once he opens up the flap to the tent, he is promptly attacked by walkers and devoured and bye-bye Ed. Also in season one, we have Andrea and Rick, who never really saw eye to eye even though they do bond as family over the course of the three seasons that Andrea is in. There was always something they did not agree on, agree upon, such as the governor, which is the biggest thing, uh, which placed a huge strain on their relationship. You know, if you really look past her bad decisions, she was trying to bring the two groups together. She just could not see that the governor was a goddamn psychopath. And that was never going to happen. Rick and Andrea were like siblings who just did not get along very well. They loved each other, but just did not see eye to eye. And Andrea did not really see eye to eye with anyone. Not even Michonne. Michonne, God knows how many times, tried to talk sense into her. She was just too stubborn. Next, Shane. A former deputy who was Rick's best friend. You call him, they were like brothers. After Rick returns, he slowly loses his leadership position. And the love affair he was having with Lori, uh, Rick's wife, ended abruptly. Shane was stubborn and ruthless. He was often against decisions made by Rick, such as going to the CDC. He claimed that his way of doing stuff is what kept the group surviving all the time before Rick showed up. 
There's also that fight scene in Season 2, Episode 10, where Rick gets into a heated argument with Shane over the fate of Randall. Remember the teenager that Rick uh, rescued, uh, that they held prisoner in the back barn on the farm, Herschel's farm? During that fight, Rick was able to defeat Shane, who angrily breaks a window at the school and releasing a horde of walkers. That's when Shane threw like that big-ass object towards Rick's direction. Rick ducked, and it broke the window right behind Rick. Uh, Shane takes safety in a school bus, and Rick later comes back for him, even though he was having ideas of leaving him there, but he just couldn't do it. Now, if y'all remember, Shane also did not see eye-to-eye with other members of the group, including Dale who tries to warn Laurie that Shane is dangerous. Uh, Dale really knew what, you know, how dangerous Shane was. Uh, Why Dale really did not come out and be more open about that, but Dale being Dale, he just tried to fix the situation himself. And I don't believe there was one ounce of Shane that was afraid of Dale. Uh, Shane didn't even regard Shale, uh, Shane did not even regard Dale as any kind of threat to him. And in the end, he was right. Dale, instead of going out, maybe going to Rick, uh, telling him of, you know, Shane is dangerous to not only the group, but to Rick himself, was a big mistake on Dale's part. Um, I'm a white boy, writes good for Shane for the beatdown to Ed. Ed Khaleesi writes, Ed was an asshat. He was, and he definitely got what was coming to him. AZ Gamer on YouTube writes, I really thought that Shane was going to die in that fight scene in season two. Lindsay on Facebook writes, Shane was a great character, but did not get along with everyone in the group. Rest in peace, Glenn rewrites. Imagine getting Stephen Yen on your show. Uh, can't say much. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so, uh, let's see. Another person who did not see eye to eye with Shane, because the list is long, is Herschel. Uh, due to Shane's disrespectful behavior on his property, the farm, and even though... Herschel may not have seen eye-to-eye with Shane. He has to give credit to Shane and Shane having enough in that whole barn scene, letting the walkers out, because that's what it took to open up Herschel's eyes and for him to start believing that the dead are dead. They cannot be cured. You can't store them in a barn waiting for some unknown scientist somewhere in the world to come up with a magical cure and bring the dead back into living form. And Herschel needed a big wake-up call, and I don't blame, that's one action I don't blame Shane for one bit. If I was in Shane's um, shoes, I would have done the exact same thing as him. The exact same thing, you know? That's where I cannot disagree with Shane one bit. Next, the governor, also known as Philip Blake, 
the leader of Woodbury, who serves as the main antagonist in season four, and by far probably one of the most evil people we have met on The Walking Dead in its 10 years. Uh, Rick and Philip, the governor, did not see eye to eye from the moment they met, discussing a way for the two communities to peacefully coexist. This feud also affected members of the group. In a particular scene, we see Daryl and one of the governor's lieutenants, Cesar Martinez, proving to each other who's the strongest by killing walkers in the most creative way. Uh, although they do end up engaging in some casual small talk afterwards, and Daryl even offers him a cigarette. In the last appearance of the governor, when he was about to kill Herschel in season four, Rick was proposing that maybe they could work something out and the two groups could live in the prison in harmony. Rick says, now we can all live in this prison or none of us can. Now you can put down your weapons, walk through these gates, and you're one of us. Governor didn't buy it. And to be honest, I don't know if Rick was going to hold up to his word. We know that in season eight, Rick was very easily willing to give his word and break it. We saw it happen numerous times. But this is going back to season four. Uh... A much different Rick in season four than we had in season eight. And would he have kept his word to to the governor? Let's say the governor dropped the katana, told everybody to stand down, and they walked through those prison gates. Do you really see the governor and Rick living in harmony under the prison roof? Because I don't. Knowing the kind of personality that the governor is, was, that just was not going to happen. It might have lasted for, at best, a couple of weeks, and then the same thing would have end up, ended up happening. A big war would have broken up between the two members of the prison, that being the governor and the other being Rick, and the only thing that might have been different is the prison might not have been destroyed. And whoever won that war would have had the prison in the end. That's the only thing I can see. Um, so anyway, the governor declined his offer and decapitated Herschel. Speaking of the governor, his influence caused another pair of characters to stop seeing eye to eye, and that was Michonne and Andrea. Both characters had a different view of Philip and Woodbury, which took a toll on their friendship. Uh, where Andrea was blinded by the governor's manipulations into believing that Woodbury was a safe haven and he was a saint, Michonne, Michonne what he truly was, which was pure evil. Abraham and Glenn uh, did not see eye to eye in the beginning, as we already covered in the character profile we did yesterday of Abraham, he and Glenn came to blows over their views on what they each saw as the most important mission at the time, saving the world or for Glenn to find Maggie. Glenn, 
His most important mission was to find his wife, understandably so. For Abraham, there was no other mission than to believe Eugene's bullshit and go to Washington, D.C. and help Eugene unleash the cure, this imaginary cure that did not exist. They do become friends, of course. They die together, as we all know, in the premiere of season seven. Uh, we should also mention Pete Anderson, who was also an abusive husband to his wife, Jesse and his son, Ron, in Alexandria. <clears throat> Excuse me. When Rick, and Jesse, when Rick and Jesse's relationship evolves, he convinces her to stand up to her husband. Pete did not like that, so he tried to kill him, and they had a big fight that ended with Rick's tirade until Michonne came up from behind him and knocked his ass out, that being Rick. A little fun fact, apparently Denai Guerrero, who played Michonne, really knocked out Andrew Lincoln when she accidentally hit him so hard that he passed out for a couple of minutes. That's a little fun, very famous behind-the-scenes thing. Denai hit Rick so hard in the back of the head, Andrew Lincoln, that he did lose consciousness for a few minutes. Uh, Khaleesi writes, no way. C.C. Reezy writes, but if they would have agreed to live in the prison together, that would have given the people a chance to know one another, and they might have been less reluctant to fight each other. I don't agree, C.C. Reezy. Not knowing who the governor really is, I don't see that. No. I don't see that happening at all. Uh, let's see. Stenningel is with us on Instagram saying, I just watched that episode earlier and Daryl outdoing Martinez, uh, throwing the knife in the walker's head. Absolutely. Steffi is with us on Instagram, giving us a smiley love face. Uh, PRA, episode 16, the finale was awesome. It absolutely was. Um, Bad Money is waving at us. Selena saying, yep, scary. Welcome to all you guys. So, um, anyway, let's uh, let's continue on. Uh, a drunken Pete tries to kill Rick, but he accidentally kills Reg, Deanna's husband. Filled with rage, Deanna says to Rick, and I quote, Rick, do it. He quickly shoots Pete and kills him. This brings us to Carl and Ron, who did not see eye to eye for a couple of main reasons. One being jealousy over Carl's fondness of Enid, who was, according to Ron, his girlfriend. I don't know if she would agree with that. And the second one being Rick killed Ron's father, Pete, and moving in on Jesse, who was Ron's mother. This leads to Ron shooting Carl by accident if you want to call it that, when he tried to shoot Rick, which in turn led to his own demise by Michonne, who stabs him in the back with her katana. Now, Morgan and Jesus had an epic clash. Season 8, when Jesus was taking saviors who had surrendered as prisoners back to the hilltop. This was a big... A uh, decision that caused a lot of tension, not only between Morgan and Jesus, 
uh, but also Jesus and Tara. Everyone is really caught up on the, you know, when Morgan and Jesus came to blows um, along the road when they went back into the woods. But you got to remember, Tara was just against bringing no saviors back, as was Morgan. Morgan just wanted to kill them even after they surrendered, just put them down one by one. Uh, Janstep says, I really want to know what happened to the Vatos gang. You know, like Greg Nicotero said when he was on, on uh, this past Monday, there's a lot of stuff we have to assume as fans. They can't possibly show us everything that's happened. Ten years on, what we are more than likely to assume is the Vatos from Season 1, Episode 4, they're dead. They're dead. Uh, maybe one or two is still surviving somewhere. We're not going to see them again. They're dead. Uh, so that's the only assumption we as fans and viewers can come to. Unless we are shown something differently, everyone is assumed to be dead. Um, Lindsay Sparks writes, the fight between Jesus and Morgan was great. It was epic. I loved it. Two very skilled guys, Morgan, of course, we know, with the Aikido and his stick. And, of course, Jesus, who's like a martial arts genius. Uh, those two went at it, and it was an epic fight. Uh, Morgan was in his killing phase. He wanted to kill them all. And this was because Benjamin was killed at the kingdom. Uh, Jesus and Morgan do come to blows, and the two of them show some very impressive uh, moves. Now, Morgan, depending on what phase he is going through, did not see eye to eye with a lot of people. As a pacifist, he clashed with Carol until she also got sick of all the fighting. Their biggest clash involved Owen, uh, played by Benedict Samuel, who was a guest of ours a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was the leader of the wolves that Morgan did not kill, but instead imprisoned. Once Carol find, found out, man, was she pissed. She just wanted to kill him. Morgan would not allow her. They got into fights. Anyway, uh, Owen ended up escaping. And at the same time, the walls of Alexandria fell and they were overrun by walkers. Um, as a killing machine, Morgan did not get along with Jesus who did not believe in uh, needless killing. Another pair of characters who never saw eye to eye is Aaron and Negan. And yeah, you could put Negan in with a group of a lot of people who he did not see eye to eye with. I don't. When Negan in season 7 and 8, there was nobody that Negan considered an equal. Everybody was below him. It's not until now... You know, season 10 primarily, where Negan, we're starting to see the other side of Negan. But if you go back to season 7 and 8, Negan you saw himself as being above everyone. Everyone else was below him. So it's very easy to say that no one saw eye to eye with Negan. Or more importantly, more correctly, Negan did not see eye to eye with anybody. Uh, despite saving Aaron, you could still see he does not see Negan as a friend. This is going into after him changing after being in prison for so many years. 
And maybe Aaron never will. Maybe Aaron will never... Maybe Aaron is going to be the one person, no matter what Negan does, it's never going to change the fact of what Negan took away from Aaron. And that, of course, is Eric. Uh, now let's move on to Rick and Maggie. To be, to be fair, they do agree on a lot of things, but there is one big thing that do, they do not see eye to eye on, and of course, that is Rick's decision to spare Negan after all-out war. Whether this changes in season 11, when Maggie finds out the good deeds that Negan has done, we don't know yet, but we know Rick is not there. So, as far as Maggie... Is Maggie ever going to have another interaction with Rick Grimes? We don't know. Lauren Cohen in the movies? We don't know. We don't know if that's ever going to happen. We do not know... You know, Maggie's probably one of the hardest characters that I have no freaking idea if Lauren Cohen is going to make a surprise appearance in any one of the three Rick Grimes movies and how that reunion is going to go between the two of them. We just have to wait and find out. Now, if you all remember prior to the Whisperer War and after the time jump, there is also a lot of tension between the communities primarily between Michonne and the others. In particular, Michonne and Tara, who engage in a very awkward scene where Michonne had to leave her katana outside the walls of the hilltop during a visit when Michonne is bringing Magna and her little group to live at the hilltop. Uh, she wasn't going to allow Magna and Yumiko and Luke and the others to stay at Alexandria. But she's like, I'm going to take you to the hilltop. And they'll take you in there. Uh, you can feel that tension. And this seems to be one that evolved over time. For a long while, they obviously did not see eye to eye. And even to this day, we are only left to assume and try to fit the pieces of what happened with Michonne and the other communities, okay? Uh, it's not so much that Rick and Michonne's thoughts had died. Now she knows he disappeared. He could possibly still be alive. It's what happened between Michonne and Jocelyn. This was her very good friend, uh, you know, very good friend who betrayed her, who was recruiting kids to kill for her and I think that was the pivot point for Michonne to stop trusting even her friends because this was a friend an old friend before the apocalypse that became evil and she turned that untrust to the friends and the communities that she made after the apocalypse and that's what we are left to assume is what caused the tension between Michonne, Hilltop, of course, Maggie, Tara. Michonne became an isolationist. She completely cut off trade and contact uh, with Alexandria, well, from Alexandria to any of the other communities. And that sort of led to the downfall of the kingdom. The kingdom was not self-sufficient and it also suffered a lot of damage with fires. And, you know, Michonne did not step in to help the kingdom in 
in any way. So you could sort of blame Michonne as partly the reason as to why the kingdom fell. Uh, anyway, like we said, the tension between Maggie uh, and particularly Tara, because that's who we see the tension with between her and Michonne. It's very thick. They don't see eye to eye. Michonne also does not see eye to eye with Magna initially when she makes a judgmental opinion on Magna based on the prison tattoo that Magna has on her hand. Uh, she also um, called Magna out for having that secret knife stashed in her belt. I don't know if you guys remember that when uh, Magna and her crew were up in front of the, uh, the Alexandria Council. Uh, Magna did have another knife that she did not surrender that uh, Michonne caught on to. Jacob uh, says, did you notice there's a lot more jumping around from, seas from scenes two, seasons two to through nine? It reminds me of a game of Thrones the last few seasons. Is it money or too many people? What are your thoughts? Not many seem to be, uh, not many seem to be, to notice. What do you mean by jumping around? I'm not really clear uh, as to what you mean about the jumping around. Uh, my white boy writes, do you know that she knew it was a prison tattoo? Well, you write, do you know how she knew it was a prison tattoo? Listen, uh, Michonne is... Uh, She's not naive to the outside world. She never was, even before the apocalypse. Her knowing that the four dots on Magnus' uh, hand, the tattoo of the four dots, meant uh, that you were, that's a prison tattoo, and the four dots represented being surrounded by four walls because you were caged in, you know, in jail. Doesn't surprise me one bit that Michelle knew that at all. Not, not one bit. Uh, so... Haha, <laughs> toilet brush salesman right is viz going to wear a funny tiger head at the end of the stream and that's in reference to something norman reedus did at the end of uh talking dead after the finale he uh at some point during his interview on talking dead he put on a big uh tiger head costume so that's funny you know uh i'm a white boy writes i got the same tattoo Alright, that's cool. Did you get it for the show? Or did you get it for other reasons? CC Weezy writes in the apocalypse, if I haven't seen you in years, I will assume you are a foe until you show otherwise because we have all changed. I don't know what you have changed into. That's a good point. Jacob writes the killing of Alpha to Carol to Negan meeting, for example. Alright, is that what you mean about the jumping around? Uh, it's not really out of the ordinary for The Walking Dead. I don't see it as something strange. It's something they have done throughout the course of the 10-year history of the shows. So, not really a big uh, surprise. Of course, Summer is stepping in to defend Michonne. It's not Michonne's fault the kingdom fell. I was wondering where you were, Summer. You know, I was wondering, you know, where you were lurking in the background. I knew me even hinting at a Michonne possible negative would bring you out of the woodwork, and I did. Summer says it is not Michonne's fault that the kingdom fell. 
So, my apology, Summer. You know, Michonne cutting off trade with the kingdom. Of course, it did not have anything to do with the kingdom falling. Because they were doing swimmingly well without Alexandria's help. So, my bad. I apologize, Summer. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Standing Gold writes that Chris Hardwick says Norman wears that tiger head a lot. Well, that's interesting to know. Uh, uh, MU Feed Rocky writes from childhood. I'm, I was watching this series. That's awesome. Uh, season 11 is coming to answer your question. As to when, I don't know. We're getting those six episodes before we get season 11. And that is coming out sometime in early 2021. And it's already almost the middle of October, guys. This year, what a crazy year it has been. Is We only have uh, two and a half months left of this year. And we're on into 2021. And let's see what that has to bring us. Uh, YMMIJ, of course I remember you. It's good to see you again. I know you guys, um, school has started back up again and a lot of you guys are busy. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. AZ Gamer writes, just imagine when will Norman Reedus be a guest on Dead Talk Live? Yes, you guys got to wait and find out. Keep watching and find out. And that's going to happen. Anyway, guys, we are pretty much out of time for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please visit our website, deadtalklive.com. We have featured episodes, past episodes, all our social media links, our guest list, both prior guests, upcoming guests. Next week, we're having two very, very cool guests on the show. We are having Chris from Fear the Walking Dead Seasons 1 and 2, Lorenzo. And we are also having Oscar, the prisoner from Season 3 of The Walking Dead. Uh, Oscar became a beloved character that died when he went to, you know, along to save Glenn and Maggie from their abduction to, uh, from Woodbury. Uh, Vincent Ward, who played Oscar, is going to be joining us here live, as is Lorenzo James Henry, who plays Chris on Fear of the Walking Dead. Those are our two confirmed guests for next week. Monday, we are going to be discussing Fear of the Walking Dead premiere. We're also going to be discussing episode two of World Beyond. We are not going to be able to get a Fear the Walking Dead guest this Monday because Fear is in the middle of shooting right now. Uh, and that's why we are not going to be able to get a current cast member from Fear to come help us break down the premiere. So I just wanted to let you guys know that's why we're not going to have a guest. They are smack dab in the middle of shooting the second half of season six as we speak. So, anyway, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. It's been great, as always. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night. Visit us on the web. Visit us on YouTube if you're not there right now.
please subscribe if you haven't already done so. If you're on YouTube right now, hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. Until tomorrow night, guys, stay safe and always stay walking. Thank you.